Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I'm grateful you are here today. So I have a question for you as we dive into this week's episode, episode 116. And the question is this, do you know what excites you every day about your work? And on the flip side of that, do you have clarity about what drains you on a daily basis? What excites you and what drains you? It's such an important question to ponder and it's such an important question to get clarity about because my next guest designed her entire career with that knowledge in mind. So I'm excited to introduce you to Diana Shapiro. Diana is the CEO of Dynam AI. She's a thought leader in artificial intelligence and the data analytics sector. And she has been in a wide variety of industries, as you'll hear as she shares her story. One of the things that Diana shares in her story is that she is crystal clear about what her strength is. And she's also crystal clear about what drains her. And so I invite you to, again, think about that for yourself. What is your strength and what drains you? And the great thing about knowing that is it can propel you much faster in your career. When I look at Diana, she is the CEO of a tech company. And I just want to put things in perspective for you. So out of the Fortune 500 companies, only 44 women are CEOs. And that's of all Fortune 500 companies. That means 8.8% of those CEOs are women. Now, when you look specifically at the 41 tech companies within the Fortune 500, only five CEOs are women. Five CEOs. So I am thrilled to have Diana on the podcast as she shares her story and her experience and her journey of being the CEO of a leading edge tech company. So let's dive into my conversation with Diana Shapiro. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Diana, I am so happy we are doing this interview. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so glad you're here. I'm really excited to do this as well. It's so nice to see you. Good to see you too. So I would love it if you would share with my audience a little bit about yourself and your career history. My career history. Wow. Well, you're going to learn how old I am then if I do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I started um, in the financial industry in the late 90s, uh, working for um, an online broker and uh, really got exposed to data and analytics uh, is really the focus of my whole career. So uh, I was selling stocks and bonds, but was really more infatuated with my Bloomberg terminals and all the analytics and the flashing lights. 
And so really went from that into um, portfolio analytics for uh, bond portfolios and equity portfolios and really more on the business development side. And for about five or six years, um, worked my way up from being in the support side to being executive vice president of sales and just found my niche in sales for um, SaaS solutions, really taking manual processes and automate, automating them and commercializing them and productizing them. Um, had kids at the end of that, and I guess it was 2001, and decided I was going to take my kids, and that lasted two weeks. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, my husband actually was looking to start a business because we were both sort of tired of working for the man and giving away, take, getting 10% commission and giving away 90% commission. And so we decided we wanted to start our own business. And he found this little tiny ad in Entrepreneur Magazine um, for uh, a company that uh, sold um, waste management diversion techniques to Fortune 500 companies and saved them millions of dollars. And we thought, oh, let's do that. So I uh, did that with um, my husband for about six months before I got a phone call from the CEO of that organization. And he said, you know, you're closing all this business. You're working with, you know, pretty uh, big name cl customers and closing all over the nation. Come work at corporate. Help me scale this business. And back then we were a $100,000 a year business. Um, we added uh, almost 700 locations um, over a 10-year period. And I helped him scale it from um, 100000 a year to over $26 million a year over that 10 It's amazing. Yeah, That's it was amazing. a really, really fun ride. Um, it was one of those ones where uh, I just felt really grateful to be in the beginning when waste diversion was not a thing. And then ride all the way up to the top um, before all of the big guys started um, figuring out that recycling and e-waste and all of that was a, was was lucrative and, and, and the way to go. And so rode that up, got out um, really close to the top. I won't say at the top like Seinfeld, but very close. Um, and then from there, I got into uh, the medical space, believe it or not. Um, again, was going to take some time off to be with the kids who were prepping to go to uh, college, like right at the end of, um, you know, high school, the last two years in high school. And I thought, I'll, I'll be a mom now and be home. So that lasted a little longer, um, maybe six <laughs> weeks. And um, I uh, met someone that was really doing incredible things for veterans uh, locally in San Diego, um, helping with uh, mental health and looking at brainwaves rather than having conversations with them, um, looking at their actual brain, physical brain, which we don't do in mental health care right now. Um, we treat the, uh, it's more subjective based on how they feel. And so this was really looking at the brain, looking at brain waves, and then developing treatment plans using transcranial magnetic stimulation to neuromodulate brainwave activity. Um, and so they felt better. Um, they weren't sleeping and now they're sleeping. They had anxiety and now they don't have anxiety. And so I got to watch these amazing transformations for uh, veterans, but also children uh, with autism and uh, folks suffering from menopause. I'm raising my hand. Um, <laughs> I am too. <laughs> and it was just, um, I couldn't help but feel that there was a business behind it. And he was just a guy that was helping. Um, he was doing it all on his own dime. And so I helped him uh, really put a business around it and commercialize that, which it's going through clinical trials right now. Really exciting. But during COVID, it um, became apparent that we weren't going to be doing much sales or clinical trials. And so I'm one of those people where I can't stop 
doing. I couldn't just sit back and be in my um, house during COVID and quarantine. I went back to school instead. And so I enrolled at MIT and took a class in uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Implications for business strategy, just to talk to C-level executives and be able to explain to them how they can do what I was doing and basically help companies accelerate their digital strategy um, and help with transforming their company to be more digital and improving with pro- you know, process improvements um, and looking at anomaly detection, not just in detecting cancer and detecting um, disease, but also um, in critical infrastructure protection, which is something that our government needs. Um, a lot of companies are actually looking at that now as well. So process improvement, process op- op- optimization and those kinds of things. I, I met uh, the folks over at Dynam. They were looking for a chief revenue officer. And again, the sales sales guru that I am, I was excited about that. And that lasted for about three or four months um, before I was tapped to take over the, the role of CEO um, and help the company with um, raising money to build an internal platform to automate their services that they were doing manually. And so we really uh, automated the whole AI machine learning process for expert data scientists. Um, it was really a niche area that we had identified where they didn't have advanced tools. They were doing a lot of manual coding, flip-flopping between um, applications in Amazon and Google, and really not having a lot of support for uh, model development, model training, model simulation, model testing, model val- validation. So I'm geeking out on you now, Natalie. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's been a really great ride to this point, and we're we're going through our second round of funding. We already have our lead investor, and we have a lot of interest. We just launched two weeks ago um, with folks signing up for our um, alpha program, which is a development program for free for four months before we launch publicly in September. So not too many people know about it, but I guess now they do. <laughs> yeah, We're hand selecting yeah. folks to join us, um, 10, to, 10 to 15 customers. That's amazing. So that's my journey. Well, I mean, and quite a journey. I mean, I've always, I've known you for, gosh, 20 years at this point. And yeah. You have always been a powerhouse leader. And as you're sharing your story, you know, one of the things that is really clear to me is you've always been on the leading edge. You know, you, you've never been comfortable with status quo. Um, you've always pushed yourself and you've always pushed in industries that are always cutting edge. And I think a lot of my listeners are, you know, people in corporate, um, women in corporate. And what I hear in your story, which is so interesting, which I would love for you to dig into a little deeper, is you not only have had so many leading edge careers within a whole career, but you've you've changed industries so many different times. And now you're at leading edge AI. And my and you know, you went back to school, you went to MIT. But my my question to you is where did you find the courage? You know, so many people find security in corporate and they they have this fear, which was my fear for so long of, you know, jumping and doing something different. And you have this bravery, this courage to to do that not only once, but multiple times in your career. So where do you get that from? What is you know, tell us more about that. You are really digging into my thing. So. I don't see it that way. I don't see it as bravery and courage. Um, To me, it's more, um, I have a special interest that I haven't shared with many people 
um, so I guess this will come out now, is I get bored really easily. And I need to be, I need to solve puzzles and problems to stay interested. I don't like repetitive tasks. So, you know, stocking shelves would never suit me. I would be so bored out of my mind, I'd want to stick hot pins in my eyes. <laughs> so um, it's really more of a, a chase um, for excitement. And excitement for me is solving pr problems. And so I'm always, you'll see me, like I'm on the internet on weekends, just looking and seeing what's the, what's the problem that, that I could solve, what's going on right now, how are we going to get internet to Ukraine, you know, things like this, things like, I think you and I used to joke about how I'd always be thinking about what's going to be the next toilet paper, because no one's invented anything new with that. Right. My mind is always thinking about how can I make the lives of others better. Even when I was a little kid, I used to build things for other people to make them more comfortable. And I would take great pleasure in being able to solve something, anything for, for someone to make their life better. And so that's where it comes from. It's not so much bravery. It's, it's almost an addiction to a sense. Yeah, but what I hear is um, this deep level of impact, of solving problems for impact. And that's that's what I really hear is the essence. I, so I'm curious, when you were a little kid, what, what were some of the examples of things that you built to help people help make <laughs> lives better? Um, so I don't remember the friend exactly. I think I was maybe seven or eight years old. And um, she just had a difficult um, childhood. And I was very aware of that at an early age. I don't know if it, my dad rubbing off on me, my dad was a psychiatrist and um, I was just really in tune with people. And um, I could tell when someone was happy or sad or angry or upset or distracted. And I still have that. Um, it's it, very intuitive. And this one girl was just always, I could tell she just, something was missing. She was just overly sad and I went um on a play date to her house and she had this barn in the backyard that um no one had really gone in um it was sort of boarded up and kind of like secretive and I just looked at her I'm like let's get in let's go inside I want to see what's inside that barn I like my wheels were already turning and she's like we can't go in there my mom will be furious if we go in there and I'm like well let's just look <laughs> just see <laughs> and we go in there and there were like five or six different rooms upstairs and downstairs. It was almost like an abandoned house. Mm. And I said, Oh my God, you could make a playroom in here. You could have like your secret hideout. And I had a whole plan of, <laughs> of what we were going to do <laughs> over the summer. And she was able to pour her heart and soul into doing that with me. Mm. And it took her away from whatever pain she was suffering by being in her main house. And so I would come on the weekends and we would build it out and we, we have our staple staple gun and we would put up like we built like a wall over the wall to make it comfortable, like padding. And then I, we brought in pillows and blankets and I made her like a little section that she could lay down and like take naps. And I can't believe you pulled that out of me. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgotten about that. But that's one of one of the things is um, I think I've been a distraction um, to people that just need to focus on something or they're not in innovative themselves to come up with a great idea they can be passionate about. And so I like to give that to other people. And I find people with passion to be super exciting and interesting to be around. And I like creating it and bringing it out in people. Mm. It supercharges me. I love that, Diana. Thank, <laughs> you for, thank you for sharing that story because I, I really think it, it really does 
it does get to the essence of who you are as as a person, as a leader, as a woman in business. And um, I'm I'm super I'm really glad you shared that story. So the other thing that is very clear to me is you've worked in very male dominated industries for throughout your entire career. I also worked in a very male-dominated industry as well. I'm curious if you have any insights or, you know, learnings along the way that helped you be successful. I mean, you're also a CEO in a very male-dominated industry right now. So what thoughts do you have that you could share with my listeners? Yeah, so uh, I don't know if this answers your question, but what comes to mind first for me was I hated going to school. Absolutely hated it. I was a pretty big rebel growing up in general. And so people, when people would say something to me, well, the majority of people XYZ or the majority say XYZ, my mind would quickly go to, well, if you think about majorities, the majority of people in the United States are not doing well. And they're also either poor or in a bad place. And so to me, majority was more about going the other way and, and change. And one of the classes that I took in school and college, um, one of my favorite classes was Marketing 101. And what I learned there um, was that when the, the, the natural habits of people, when they walk into a store, you probably know this, is that they uh, immediately will turn right, mm-hmm. walk in. And that product placement is all geared toward the route that customers will typically follow. And so I made it my mind that when I walked into a store, I was always going to turn left. As soon as I heard that, <laughs> I started turning left because I didn't want to be sold by all the gym jicks and all that. So I turned left and made that my journey. And, 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 and that was really game changing for me in general is thinking outside of the box with everything and not always just following the majority, even though we're all trying to get inclusion now, you know, inclusion is so big and, and important majority roles, I still want my mind to be thinking outside of what the norm is, because I think that's when you grow. And that's, that's where my passion is, is, is really getting to that next level, rather than just staying in the circle of mediocrity is what I the way I say it. Yeah, well, and, and I love what you're sharing, because I think one of the things I've talked about on previous podcast episodes is, you know, how we're socialized as women, we're socialized as women, at least our generation was. Uh, my girls, I don't see this as much. But, you know, in our generation, we were we were raised, you know, socialized, follow the rules, be a good girl, you know, stay within the lines, right? And I love that your rebelliousness against that has actually created a major impact. And I, I think you are the the output of going against those rules. And I love that because I think I think your story and your mindset is inspirational to people listening, knowing that you don't have to follow the rules and that by actually not following the rules, you can make a bigger impact sometimes. It's really true. And I think following your heart, um, your brain's important, but following your heart and your gut are almost more important. And your body can really tell you a lot about a decision. And every day you you have decisions to make, right? And you can make different ones the next day. But if you're always making decisions based on what other people are telling you to do, then you're not truly growing as a person. You're not really experiencing the world differently. You're experiencing it like a robot. And um, I would encourage everybody to step outside of that and take some risk. Um, just dare. I just saw that as I was talking. 
your little sign back there. Um, it really does make life more um, less depressing, I think. Um, for people that feel depressed, that's a sign that you're just not getting enough out of the world and, and you need to make a change. And so make an active decision to do things differently, to think differently. Everyone perceives the same situation totally differently and then takes action on it. And so you can just decide that you're going to act more positively or look at the bright side instead of the dark side um, in every situation. And it's amazing how differently you feel after that. It's so true. My mindset is so powerful and that those mindset shifts um, can, can make all the difference. Absolutely. So I'm curious, um, what is your long-term vision for Dynam AI? Thank you for asking that. So the, the long-term vision really is we're building a solution that we want to scale and we want to get it to um, industries so that they can actually accelerate um, digital strategy without um, having to have phone calls and have um, a support desk, but where we can empower them to get to the next level very quickly and on their own, reducing the amount of time it takes to implement an AI ML solution. So we are going through a funding round right now to scale the company. Um, it's one third filled. Once it's filled, we'll be able to staff up and actually automate a lot more of the processes that we've already built and then build up our sales force. But ultimately, um, our exit strategy is to be acquired um, by one of the bigger companies where we just plug right in like a slice of pizza and fill uh, that area in their business model that's not being satisfied currently so that we can get exposure to all their subscribers um, and all of their um, the folks that really need that next level of AI development and haven't even been thinking about it. Kind of like when AOL came to market, everyone was so excited because right. they were online. <laughs> but then after over time, as things have developed and, and accelerated, no one wanted dial up anymore. <laughs> Do you remember those days? I remember those days. <laughs> so we're, that's what we are, is we're the next step after um, the dial-up service. And so we're, we're really preparing ourselves and building the company and preparing um, for uh, demand uh, that is slowly building in the background. They just don't know what they need, but they're doing a lot of manual tasks that can be improved. So that's again, awesome. helping improve the lives of data scientists. No, I think it's great. I think it's great. So your CEO of a major tech company or, you know, startup tech company that will be major soon. Yep. And mm, what lessons have you learned along the way of being a CEO in terms of the strengths that you bring and also maybe some of the challenges that you face on a daily basis? Oh, God, it's a very big list. I'll focus on the ones that are like <laughs> this week. Um, you know, one of the things is, you know, when you get to the top, you don't have anyone to talk to. And so it, there's a lot of... Um, Self-doubt, I would say, um, you are checking yourself constantly because there's no one else to do it for you. Um, I do have a board that I report to, but you know they've got other jobs and it's really more about reporting to them the progress. And so I really have been put in a position to have to make fast decisions a lot, a lot of time, um, calculated risks where I may not have trusted myself in the past to do that, but because I've been put in this empowering situation or, you know, in the role of CEO, I have to, I don't have a choice. And so I've learned to fail fast instead of fail slowly. And that's kind of been a key um, education that I've received from mentors of the past. So that's been a really helpful skill is um, especially when you're interviewing someone for the role is, figure it out really quickly and then 
move on or if someone's in a role and it's just not a, a click, they're not having fun, they're not progressing, there's no performance, don't wait too long. It's not good for either of you. Mm-hmm. Move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, client engagements. I mean, it, it, the, the rule kind of applies across the board. As far as just being a CEO versus the other positions that I've been in, it's so much more administrative than I would have thought. Um, you know, I'm not doing as much selling um, as I did it before because that's all I did. And so now I'm having to be concerned about operationally and product development as well as HR and then finance. So you have your hands in all of these different pots and it's letting yourself rise up and not get too stuck in the weeds on any one issue and really um, trusting your team and building a team around you that can support you rather than me trying to micromanage and be in every single pot. And Mm -hmm. that's been, that's been a little easier than what I expected. Um, I'm good at delegating, but if someone is struggling and having an issue, I still feel like I need to solve it. And (laughs) that that goes back to the whole childhood story. Yeah. Um, That's one of my, one of the most difficult parts for me is, you know, even if someone is having simple like technology issues, I want to like go under their desk and figure out the plugs. (laughs) I would be very quick to do that. Yeah. Well, so thank you for sharing all of that because I think your knowledge and your wisdom is so pertinent to other people that are in in an equivalent role or people that are looking to elevate into a CEO position just to understand what the reality is of that role. And, um, you know, I've I've talked about this on the podcast before too, of our strength oftentimes is what differentiates us from others. Your strength of problem solving, right, is so powerful. And we just have to watch to make sure that we don't have that strength in overdrive, where it becomes a saboteur of ours, and it can hold us back of, you know, you're such a problem solver jumping in to want to jump in when you need to kind of be hands off and let other people (laughs) handle that issue, right? Because, um, that that can be right right exactly (laughs) because that can be totally challenging so so I love I love that you uh that you shared that um what do you think your team would say about your leadership style well I've had I have one-on-ones with my team um we're still pretty small we only have 24 in the organization but I've made it my purpose at least during the startup time to spend one-on-one time with the staff especially the management team Uh, and and it gives them an opportunity to get their voice heard. And each one of them, I share that what's important to me about their role is for me to understand their career path and what excites them so that we can give them more of those types of responsibilities. They love that. So the feedback I've gotten is, you know, you've taken away all the things that I don't enjoy about my job and given me more of the things that I really enjoy. How, why would I ever leave? (laughs) And so I try to continue doing that. And again, that's just something I've learned from past leadership um, mentors of mine is um, just encourage people in their roles. And when they're ready to, to fly, don't fight it. Um, support them, write them, job recommendations. Um, these are um, children, in, in a sense, that you have the opportunity to shape. Um, but always keep in mind what their co- career goals are. Um, in addition to what the company's goals are, of course, but sure. they're they're only going to stay if they're achieving their own personal goals. And so I try to keep that in the forefront. And I think they recognize that. The other thing is I lead by example. I, I would never tell someone to do something I wasn't willing to do myself. 
And oftentimes, especially if I'm training salespeople, which is my bailiwick, um, <laughs> I'll, I get right back into that pit and I'm the one in the sales meeting and I'm closing to show how to close or how to be an active listener. I hope that answers your question. It does. It does. <laughs> Absolutely. So working on the leading edge of AI, what secrets can you share with us about where the AI sector is headed? Uh, that's a great question. So without giving away our secret sauce, I can definitely tell you that what is missing is AI explainability and trust. Um, so we've got all these R&D departments at you know, pretty major companies and at universities where they're just innovating and finding solutions and physics guided AI is a great talking point. Um, models have not yet been validated yet. And validation comes from active testing and simulation in real environments. And one of the things that is really needed right now is um, automation with model testing so that different models can be used to see how analytics results would be different using different models. Um, right now, machine learning is really looking at data points. Um, so ingested data, historical data mostly, um, or even image data that happened in the past and then analyzing it and trying to predict future results is really difficult. But if you could bring in outside economic conditions like a behavioral model, like what happened during COVID, where everyone is now locked in their house. Well, oh my gosh, no one's driving a car. So what do you think is going on with gas stations um, or food supply? Like who, who would right. have expected this run on toilet paper? So where AI can really play a role is in a more predictive way. If we could develop models that are based on human behavior, based on physics, um, propensity to buy, balance, gravity, uh, speed, and, and bring that into the machine learning training model, um, then the analytics that come out will be much more realistic and more like real world, more like the human brain looks at data based on current conditions. And no one's doing that right now. And so it is an area of focus for us. Um, it's part of our niche, um, but it's also an area where um, I'm super excited to really solve that problem. Uh, there are a lot of cold cases in AI right now that are just sitting up on the shelf. Companies just can't solve it because they can't get more uh, accurate enough analytics because it's just data-driven, doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love that perspective and it, so it sounds like a you guys have made headway in that area, which is really, really important, obviously, for the businesses that you serve. So I love that you guys are that you're solving that problem. Um, I'm curious to know when you look back at your career, obviously, you've had a, a long career and you've done your journey has been super interesting. You've done a lot of different things. What do you wish you could have told your younger self about your career journey? So I think, you know, I've always had this mindset and I don't know where it actually came from, where I have never asked for a promotion, not once. Um, and I've gotten all these promotions, right? I've clearly accelerated within companies before moving on to the next company by just proving myself. And most, most of it is sales. So it's super concrete to prove yourself with sales. But I do wish that um, I tried to get bigger positions sooner rather than maybe and, and 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 maybe making people trust me a little bit more sooner because I could have accelerated my speed to being a CEO many many years ago if I had wanted to or thought thought that way mm -hmm. but every one of my jobs I think I've only made my resume once or twice 
in that entire time frame of 25 years because it's just been people have seen what I'm doing and then want me to do something else. So I think that would be my answer because I would have asked for it. Yeah, really powerful and something I see a lot with women. And so I'm, I'm really glad you shared that. What advice do you have for other women in tech specifically? Women, as, as far as being a woman in tech? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've noticed I've skirted all your questions you about have. being a woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so being a woman hasn't impacted me the way I hear a lot of folks. And I think because of my blinders that I have on where I'm just focused on the problem and solution and I'm not thinking about, oh, well, where do I fit in the pecking order? Oh, is this man going to get more money than me? You know, oh, it's so competitive. It's like not even in my periphery. I don't think that way. Um, But if I were to give a recommendation to a woman, it would be just that is you just think of everyone as equal, including yourself and act that way and perform that way. And every decision you make should be that way. If you put yourself in the mode of thinking about where you compare to others, it doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man or a company or what, you're going to deflate yourself. And I think that people do get, and not just women, but minorities get into a position of deflating their own ego and deflating their own um, confidence. And I just never allowed myself to get into that mode. I think I could, I'm scared to, to, to do that to myself. I think that, you know, you're, you have to be in control of your mind. You can't just let it run free. You have to have control and uh, shut off negative thoughts. Um, that would be my advice, not just to women in tech, but women in general, minorities of all kinds is, you are your worst enemy and do not let that happen because no one else is telling you you can't do it. You are telling yourself you can't do it. I agree. I, I agree with you for the most part. I agree that I think it I think it is important from a mindset perspective of to not not be the victim of the situation, right? And and not create that victimization for yourself. I think the reality is too, like we're two white women speaking from privilege, right? And I think that that's also fair that there are kind of structural and social, you know, within organizations specifically for minorities, you know, I think, I think there are some structural battles that aren't just mindset for them that are, are real barriers to elevating. You know, I think when we look at bias and we look at, you know, who's hiring and if it's a bunch of white men or a bunch of white women, right. It's just that we hire people that look like us. But I also know that you have taken a very specific stance on being inclusive. And yeah. and so, you know, it's also up to leaders to make sure that they are overcoming their own biases to hire people that look and sound and come from the the schools, the organizations, the economic background that that they do as well. So I just add that in there just as a point of differentiation, just to make sure that leaders that do have power are making sure that they are aware of their own unconscious bias as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think corporate responsibility has moved um, quite a bit over the last five years, good and bad. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't have to get into all the good and all the bad, but um, I think that just the um, awareness of diversity within the workplace is really important. And it starts at the interviewing process and, uh, you know, creating a set of values and a mission statement for the company that sets you apart and differentiates you. And, you know, you want to, at least as a leader, I want to come across as um, inclusive 
but also again, right back to that career track. I want to be that, that boss that my employees look back to and say, she was a great mentor. She helped me with X, Y, or Z. And that's how I proceeded through my career path. Yeah. So again, color doesn't matter. Sex doesn't matter. None of the social, um, you know, everything that's going on with social justice and so forth. To me, it's, um, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It's uh, I'm agnostic to it. Right. I don't see it. I don't see color. Um, and I don't think there's a place to do that in the workplace. And I want to replicate that as much as I can by sharing and talking about it. I love that. I love that. Um, so Diana, as we come to a close of this conversation, you know, I'm just curious, uh, you're, you're working in a dynamic leading edge company, you are a fabulous leader. Um, anyone would be lucky to be working with and for you. Um, are there any roles in particular that you're looking for or support that you're needing for your organization right now? Oh, yeah. So we're in the scaling and expansion stage. Um, we are going through active fund- fundraising also. But the reason for that is that we are building out our development team. So we're always looking for um, full stack and front end uh, machine learning engineers. So with a background in Python or um, expert data scientists that have a physics background with any type of domain expertise um, that our clients would be excited um, for. So both of those roles are those are open positions. We're always hiring in those areas. And then we're building out our client support team. So uh, we're looking for leadership for client um, relations for supporting the uh, platform. And so it would be mostly engineers, um, anyone that has a background in Python uh, programming, especially. All right. Okay, perfect. And any, any last words of wisdom that you have for my listeners that you want to share? Yeah, I would say, you know, bring your passion to work. Um, and, and when I say that, it's, um, you know, when I come in every day, I, I think about what, what will make me excited? What is there something that I can do today or accomplish today that um, when I at the end of the day, I feel really good about what I achieved. And so I try to always find one thing that I can accomplish. And and some days it's minor. It might be like actually answering every email in my inbox, <laughs> which is rare. <laughs> um, but achieve something as small as it is every single day. And it really does. It does a number. Um, some days it's just making my bed, but there you go. Yeah. One achievement is all, is all you need. Well, I love that. I love that. And I love having gratitude for what you're achieving and just being intentional about it, right? I think so many times we can have a laundry list of things we want to do and then we we get 80% of it done and then we beat ourselves up because we didn't get the other 20% done. But what I really hear you saying is, you know, just being intentional about having some specific things you want to achieve and being also grateful for yourself for getting those things done. So I think that's yeah. really powerful. Yep. Take care of yourself along the way, for sure. You don't want to be a workhorse. And that's, I, I should probably rate that on my mirror. Don't be a workhorse. <laughs> well, I, I have loved this conversation. Diana, thanks for joining me today. I love that you are on the leading edge and doing great things with Dynam AI. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with my listeners. I really am so glad that we had this conversation today. Oh, me too. It was my pleasure. Let's do it again. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation 
or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Oh, 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 oh,